Introduction Thank you for downloading this audiobook, Raisetown, the story of an early medieval settlement. This audiobook was produced by Abarta Heritage on behalf of Transport Infrastructure Ireland. We are going to tell stories of life in a large settlement in early medieval Ireland, sometime around the 6th or 7th century. The stories are based on the results of the archaeological excavation that was carried out at Raystown in 2004, in advance of the construction of the M2 Finglas to Ashburn motorway. On a long, low ridge in the small townland of Raystown near Ashburn in County Meath, archaeologists discovered the remains of a large and complex site that was once part of the ancient kingdom of Brega. The excavations revealed a place where people worked the fields, milled grains, feasted, lived and buried their dead well over a thousand years ago. This large farming settlement was to endure for at least 600 years and this discovery produced a wealth of new insights into life in early medieval Ireland. This audiobook weaves a number of fictional tales informed by the excavation to help introduce some of the people who lived at Raystown and includes references to artefacts that were found during the dig. You'll meet the Lord or Fla of the settlement, his Boara who managed the farms and mills, a slave and a wanderer. You'll enjoy a feast for a king and hear the aftermath of a raid on a rival settlement. We hope you enjoy the stories. The Burial Today we bury Bayveen, one of the most respected members of our kin and a loyal servant of the Tuath. Bayveen was the wife of a tenant farmer, but he died when he was very young, when I was just a boy. However, Bayveen had a long life. She must be over fifty summers old. She was always well thought of and worked hard at her roles in the community. As well as her work in the field, she was very good at helping to keep the mill in good repair, as skilled as almost any man that I have encountered. I know that the Boara Fergal will miss her. They spent hours together in the mill. Bayveen played her role in helping us to grow into a prosperous and well-ordered community under the protection of the King of Lagore. My lands stretch far beyond our settlement, across the plains of Brega, up to the banks of the broad Meadow River. However, despite the productive soil and gentle streams, this land is occasionally dangerous. We are near the border with the old enemy, the Kingdom of Sina, and each year we must send some of our best young men to be part of the warband in service of the king who lives in the fortress of the Martian Lagore. Still, it is a great honour for a family to have a son in service to the king. You could see it almost as being as good as having a monk or a priest in the family. Only they'd be a bit handier in a raid. I myself am the lord of the land, the Fla, they call me, and I'm the nephew to the king himself, who is my mother's brother, our settlement is a vital part of the kingdom, and our busy mills and productive farms supply much of the grain and meat to Lagore. Under me is the Boara, who chiefly manages the farms and mills, and there is no better Boara in all of Brega for herdsmanship. I barely have to lift a finger, and that is very much the way I like it. 
There are also no fewer than seven tenant farmers who rent their small farms from me, and their annual tribute is due. I always look forward to seeing the grain, cheeses and meats, all neatly gathered at the annual winter celebration that they throw in my honour, in gratitude for my generosity and nobility. I do love those occasions where all the Tuatha, from high to low, come together. Even on sad occasions such as this, where we bury a member of our community, people take comfort from their kin and neighbours. Her daughter and kin bury Bavine in her family plot. They lay her gently on her back in the grave, with her head in the west like a good Christian, so she can rise again on the day of judgment. They have dressed her in her finest clothes, with an embroidered shawl covering her head and shoulders. I only ever saw her wear that on occasions when the priest visited. The priest always says we should be buried and wrapped in a shroud, but that wasn't the way of Bavine's kin. When the grave was being dug, the bones of her long-dead husband were uncovered, and so we will bury them with her and his bones will benefit from being twice blessed. The Mill Right, young apprentice Brendan, it's time you learned how to work the mill. Since your Aunt Bavian took sick, I need help keeping it right. She was always a better hand than me when it came to repairs. So I hope you have some of her skill. First things first. Before we start milling, we have to go down into the undercroft to check to see that the wheel sits properly on the bridge sole so it can move freely. Don't worry, the sluice gate is diverting the water down into the tail race so only our feet will get wet. Mind your head, there's not a whole lot of room down here. There, see the head of the flume looks in a good shape. The millwright laid it at a perfect angle, so the water travels at just the right speed. Too steep and the water would be too fast and put too much pressure on the wheel, so it would break the paddles. Too shallow and it wouldn't flow beyond the dribble, and it would take an age to get the milling done. That flap there stops the water from blasting out onto the wheel in one big rush. Instead, it forces the water to run down the side of the wheel and evenly across the front paddles. That way, they turn steadily rather than being pushed down or broken off by the force of the water. See how the water has eaten away at these old floorboards. They won't last another year, I shouldn't think. We might need to ask the Fla to send for the Serm Willen to craft another mill. This one is definitely showing its age. He won't be happy. Millwrights don't come cheap, but it's an uncommonly skilled job. Right, now the wheel is sitting right, we can head back up to the mill house. There's a bit more room up here, which is a good thing, as we nearly always have the farmers stopping in for a chat while they wait for their grain to be milled. That's why I keep the board game in here too. You can win a few extra pots of ale while you wait if you're any good. It's also the best place to get all the good gossip, as many of the smaller settlements around here don't have their own mill. They must come here and give us a portion to grind their barley and wheat for them. 
The next job we have to do is to raise this pole. Look between the two millstones and you can see that by moving this pole the gap increases or decreases. This lets you alter the rub of the stones to suit what you're milling. The stones themselves are pretty new, as they were only recently replaced. We were getting complaints about too much stone in the flour. I think it all adds to the flavour, eh? <laughs> all looks set in here now, so the next job is to go back out and down the ramp. We've got to check that there's nothing obvious blocking either the tail race or the bypass channel. Any debris there could mean that the water will flood back up into the undercroft and that could cause all manner of grief. Here, what's that pile of branches doing there? Hang on, I'll sort that out. Ah! Ah, damnation. Blast it all! Don't stand there smirking, Brendan. Help me out! Look at the state of me! This is one of my best tunics as well. Oh yeah! I've lost my second best pin. I'll never find it again in all that muck. A pox on it. Bah! These things happen in milling, you know. It might look like it's a nice day indoors gossiping with farmers, but there's more to it than that. Right. Where were we? Right. The tail race is clear. All is well in the undercroft and the mill house, so we're about ready to go. The next job is we open the sluice gate to let the water from the stream pour down the flume. Onto the wheel and away we go. Just open the sluice gate there. Good lad. Right, back we go into the mill house. Now the stones are grinding away and everything is looking good. Here, help me empty this sack of grain into the hopper. Mind yourself, they're ferocious heavy. My arms and shoulders are ruined from lifting them all these years. Remember, don't just dump it all in. Pour it slowly, otherwise it goes everywhere and we lose half the grain. That's it. Right. We'll make a miller out of you yet. The Slave Hey, Slave! Hey, Kamala! Here, take my clothes down to the river and give them a wash. When you're done there, make sure the paths are clear of rubbish. The king arrives this evening. Yes, Boera. God, look at the stinking muck on his clothes. He must have fell on his fat arse in the mill race again. It'll take me an age to get them clean. Every day I wake hours before dawn and eat a meagre bowl of pottage before working through to sunset. Building fences, helping with the ploughing of the fields, milking the goats and the cows, making the bread, cleaning the houses and repairing the thatch. One of the last jobs I do each evening is to clean out the kilns of all the old charcoal and burnt grains. I actually quite like that job since I usually get to work with Fohertoch and he's a fine-looking man. God, these clothes stink. I'll just lay them in the river weighed down with heavy stones and let the river's current do the cleaning. This king's visit's going to be a nightmare for all us unfree folk. The settlement must be cleaned and all the hearts relayed. The pigs must be spitted and roasted and the fillets of beef prepared. 
It's hard smelling all that fine meat roasting when all I've got to look forward to is pottage. God, those carters should clean up after their horses. All the paths are piled high. Lazy sods. I'll use the birch brush to drag it all down to the dung heap. Ah, look, here's the comb maker, rooting in the stinking heap as usual. <laughs> look at him, fighting with the dogs for the bones. Ah, he wins again. Never mind, dog. He is more experienced than you. <laughs> Worse breath, too. God, he could straighten the horn of a ram just by breathing on it. The flat won't be none too pleased, though. He wants the prime beef bones on top of the dung heap so all the visitors can see just how rich and wealthy he is to eat such fine cuts. Oh, there's those kittens bothering the chickens again. They're heading to be drowned if they carry on. Or worse still, the co-maker will skim them for their fur. Get out of it, you! Right. Now that's done, I'll go to see what the cooks need. <laughs> There's no rest at all here. <gasps> There's Forthuck. He seems very tense today. I bet it's because of all this fuss. I know he hates the king. I was born into slavery, but Forthuck was captured after a battle. He was to be king himself one day, but now he is stuck in chains and forced to do menial work. At least I don't have to wear chains. I'm no threat to anyone. I know my place. The Wanderer Five times the fire of Lunasa have burned since I last returned home. Since then, I've been trading up and down the coast of Britain, selling skins and hides, barrels of ale, salt fish or slaves, almost anything that would turn a profit. We dropped anchor in Vulakida last night, so I spent the night on board finishing off the last cask of ale with the lads. Now as I walk along, I can feel the happy weight of a pouch with some scruples of silver and my bag full of gifts for my mother and sister. My head's pretty full of stories too, and I can't wait to get them around the fire to tell them of that time we escaped the Frankish pirates or we nearly ran aground with the fog so thick that we couldn't see our hand in front of our face. I must be careful passing through the lands of the neighbouring Tuaha though. I cannot expect the same treatment as from my own. I've missed the fields of home, walking along the banks of the broad meadow river. All the senses of home are coming back to me. The calling of the corn crake, the smell of the smoke from the charcoal burners along the edge of the wood. I was always treated well here. My father died when I was fostered out, but my mother, Bavin, more than made up for his loss. She is skilled at nearly everything she turns her hand to. I can't wait to see her again. The land looks good and fertile. 
I heard that there's a new lord these last three years, and it looks like he's made sure everything is in order. I can see the metal of workers stretched out harvesting the golden crop of barley. There seems to be a lot more carts on the road carrying sacks of grain to the mills. All those fields of barley make me thirsty for an ale or two. Our settlement is famous across all Brega for the quality of our ale. The road takes a bit of a bend just here and seems newly laid. Makes sense, I suppose, as the old road ran through the marshy callows near the settlement and flooded every winter. Nearly there now. I can see the hall of the fla and the smoke from the cooking fires. I have a hunger on me too. Oh, it's good to be home. I think I might stay this time. Who's this approaching now? On a couple? It might be my cousin Brendan. Though God has he grown. I hear he is now apprenticed to the Bawara and learning how to manage the cattle, mills and slaves. That'd be a good steady life now. Though the lad was always fascinated in my stories of adventure on board the boat. I wonder if he'll recognise me after five long years. Ho! Brendan! It's me, Aid. Your cousin, you've become a man. How's the family? The King's Feast There is not a minute to waste. The King is coming. We must ensure that the finest lamb is roasting on the spits, large cauldrons of the best beef bubbling over the fire, and barrels of ale and casks of mead ready for the celebration. The gifts are already prepared, and we must be as generous as we can afford to be, for it has been a fine harvest, and some might say I have been a little slow with offering my tribute. The king's messenger has just appeared to signal the royal arrival is imminent. But a well-prepared man like me doesn't need to flap. And after all, the king is my uncle Flanacorn. On his last visit to mark the occasion, when I inherited the lordship, he gave me a beaker made of the finest green glass from the land of the Franks, carefully decorated with bands and lines. I doubt any other lord in the region has as fine a vessel. I have made sure that it will be full of our best mead during the feast. To tell the truth, I'm a little nervous after all. It's not every day that the king visits. Still, I'm sure my uncle will forgive me about the tribute. Better put on a good show all the same by looking the part. So forgive me while I get my slave to comb my long hair and moustache. The teeth of my new comb are set very close together to make sure that my moustache looks suitably luxuriant and sleek. I'm also wearing my finest cloak, carefully wrapped around to keep out the chill winds and fastened at the neck with my new brooch. Now, everyone has taken their appointed place in my house, and the feast can begin. My brother Nile acts as the Ranara for today's feast and carves up the finest hog and beef. As is only right, the king gets served first with the largest portion, then I, of course, then the king's champion and his personal guards. After that, the rectora, the king's judge and advisor, then his steward, and then our Boara. So and so it goes, with each person allotted their due portion in succession, in accordance to their importance, until even the hounds have had their fill. Look, there's Aed, Bavine's son. I've heard he's a great man for telling a story. 
What a calamity for him that he has arrived just hours after we bury his mother. Look at the juggler tossing his sharp blades over and over. To be fair to him, he is skilled, though I still resent that I've been feeding him for days since he wandered in off the road. After the king leaves, he'll be quick to follow, in hope that he can leech off him instead for a while. Ah! There is the poet, Ordigan. I wonder what he will recite today. Shush now, let's hear. The fort opposite the Oakwood. Once it was Bruyas. It was Cahals. It was Aids. It was Eileals. It was Cunnigs. It was Coolinus. And it was Mael Dunes. The fort remains after each in his turn. And the kings asleep in the ground. Well, what did he mean by that? That we all die and the old forts live on? Seems a pretty poor choice to be speaking of dead kings in the presence of the re Lagore. I'll make sure he gets none of the good mead, and not even a drop of ale, the miserable churl. King Flanacon doesn't look over-pleased. Here, cupbearer, quick, fill the king's glass with the best stuff we have. Where's the harpist? Let's have a tune to liven us all up after all that misery. <laughs> now, that's more like it. Everyone seems cheered up by the good ale and mead, and well sated by the fine feast. Though there are a few dark looks being thrown around, and there is an edge in the room. I know there has been a bad feeling these last years about the king's supposed cruelty and avarice, but who are they to question the will of the king? I do admit he is very fond of raiding to capture cattle and slaves, but what's wrong with a little excitement and profit? Still, I best make sure everyone is too insensible from drink to cause any trouble. Cupbearer, get to work. The kiln. Lord, Lord, the ale has killed me. God have mercy on me. (laughs) But if I am feeling bad, the king must be even worse. (laughs) That gloomy poem put him in such a temper that I had to cheer him up by draining glass after glass of meat and ale. (laughs) Being a lord is damned hard work. It isn't easy keeping a king placated and happy. I know everyone swears by it, but trying to swallow down oats in ice-cold water really isn't helping. I think I might be dying. I'll kill that poet before I do, though. Master, the king is leaving. What? Already? Right, right. Hand me my cloak. Oh, by the saints, I shouldn't have stood up so quickly. Oh, mercy. Wait, wait, no, no, I'm fine. I can do my duty. Farewell, King Flanacon. I'll be sure to send the carts with grain tribute along the road behind you. Well, I must say that is a pretty dark look he gave me. He's either still brooding about that poem or perhaps he is ale-killed too. Not that he looks it flanked by his guards. Look, there's Fortuck, moving toward the king. What could he have to say to King Flanacon? 
Since we captured him in the battle where his father, King Tolag, was killed, he's been quiet enough here, put to work cleaning out the kilns like a mere slave. Wait, he seems to be moving quicker. The king's guards have seen the threat. They're blocking his route. Stop! Stop him! He's grabbed the harness of one of the guard's horses. The guard slashes down on the back of his neck and it's all over. He's down. He's down. So much blood. What will this mean for me? An attack on the king? My own uncle? In my settlement? This does not look good for me. Fortuck was supposed to be cowed and subdued, and then he goes to attack the king? I'll have to make an example. For his crimes and insult against the king, Fortuck, son of Tolag, will neither be buried as a Christian nor as a member of our kin. That's right, he will not be put in the hallowed ground of our Feirta. He will have no priest saying the words over his body. Instead, we'll bury him like a dog in the old kiln so that he will never be resurrected into eternal life. The king's bodyguards have surrounded the still body of Fortug. The men are completely loyal to the king, two having been spared from execution or slavery by him. He owns them as completely as he owns his hounds, and like ravenous dogs, they are ferocious in their defense of the king, as Fortug found out to his cost. Now they are dragging him over to the kiln. But what's that? That has dropped from his hand. It looks like a knife. By God. It is my own best knife. The one with the handle crafted to look like a boar. An attempt on the king in my own settlement using my own knife? By God, this does not look good for me. The Warriors End Well, that went as well as we could have hoped. In retaliation for the outrageous attempt on the king's life, we launched a raid deep into the territory of the Kinakta Breg, burning their farms and slaughtering many of their people. We even attacked the king's holding to finish their ambitions once and for all. It was a great honour on our settlement when one of our men, Aed finally smashed his way into the house of the king and slew him by a single sword thrust to the throat. Aed's bravery cost him dearly, though, and he was hacked and slashed countless times by the dead king's bodyguards. They rained, blow after blow on his ribs and back as he fought his way into the hall, though he still had enough strength to deliver the killing blow. We'll have a fine feast when we bury him. After their king fell, their resistance began to fall apart under the fury of our attack. The king's guards were overrun by our men, slaughtered by spear and sword. Our attack had come so swiftly that their warriors were still laboring in the field, so there was little resistance. King Flanacon took his dead enemy's head, and after we looted his house, we set fire to the thatch. This raid was undoubtedly profitable, as we took many captives. The king will no doubt sell all the fighting men at the port of Vulloch, Egypt, where we're bound to get a good price. If the king is generous, he'll give us a fair share of the captured farmers, women and children to be our slaves. Though after the last slave he gave us tried to kill him, his generosity might not be so forthcoming. Still though, 
Our men will take full part in the rounding up of the cattle of the Kinakta Brake. Our Boara will no doubt be delighted to see his herd so increased. They are so numerous that we can easily afford to slaughter some of the calves and have a fine feast when we return to the settlement. Today was a great victory, but although we killed and captured many, a large number of the enemy fled to the forest, so maybe we'll face trouble again in the future. Still, though, Ayid's bravery will be remembered by the storytellers, and his blood washed away some of the shame that had fallen on our settlement since the infamous attempt on the king's life. Death of a Settlement They say that this was a prosperous place years ago, with a fine settlement and a generous lord. It's not anymore. Wars and raiding have taken most of our young men and only left behind the weak and the sick. So many sick. My husband died last winter from the endless coughing fits that so many of us suffer. He's buried in the graveyard where the new priest says we all must go. They won't let unbaptized children be buried in there, though. The priest says that. They need to wait outside the sacred enclosure until Judgment Day. When our little daughter died last summer... God, it was hard. I think that's half the reason my husband died. He was heartsick after she passed and seemed to have no will left to live. With so little food, I just couldn't give her enough milk. We tried everything we could. My husband near killed himself with work to get milk from cow or goat. We didn't mind. But we could get precious little and she just faded away. As she wasn't baptised, we brought her here to be buried in the old graveyard. Our kin have lived here for generations and I'm sure their shades will welcome her little spirit. I've taken a blue bead from my necklace and strung it around her neck so the ancestors will recognise her as kin. You can just about see the ditch that marks the old burial ground. No one's been maintaining the ditches here for years now, so they're filling up. It won't be long before this place is forgotten, and it's just another field for a fat farmer to plough this ox. Though, by God, it has been many years since I saw a fat farmer. We're starving. No one has gathered good harvests for many summers now and this year is especially bad as the rains make the barley rot in the field. The mill stands mostly idle and its timbers are warping with age as there are precious few fine oaks to replace them. When I was a little girl, you could hardly hear yourself think here for the creaking of the corn crake. But now they're nearly all been knitted for the pot. I can't remember the last time I ate meat. I saw someone cooking a dog here last week. Things have truly turned bad.
I wonder what'll become of us. I cannot see a future here for the young people, though I pray for all of them with my beads. The future matters little to me, though. With my daughter and husband gone in the ground, I can only spend my days thinking of the past. Conclusion We hope you enjoyed the story of Raystown. Many of the details in the tales were inspired by the remarkable discoveries by the archaeologists and we are indebted to Matthew Seaver and his excavation team for unearthing these glimpses into the past. You can discover more about this incredible site in the publication Mehel, the Archaeology of Lives, Labours and Beliefs at Raystown County Meath. For more information, please visit tii.ie. This guide was produced by Abarta Heritage for Transport Infrastructure Ireland. It is part of a series of audiobooks about Irish archaeology. For more, visit abartaheritage.ie. The stories are based on the archaeological excavation that was carried out at Raystown in 2004 by a team of archaeologists. Led by Matthew Seaver on behalf of CRDS Limited for Meath County Council National Roads Design Office and the National Roads Authority in advance of the construction of the M2 Finglas to Ashburn Motorway. This guide was written by Neil Jackman of Abarta Heritage with the specialist insights of Matthew Seaver and Terry O'Hagan. The guide was recorded and produced by Roisin Burke and Declan Lonergan and narrated by Sarah-Jane Scott, Sam Lucas-Smith and Danny Keogh.